0: Man, come on, chair. Come on. Just get out of that horse and ride it
1: around, Butterscotch. Hey everybody, welcome to Coffee with Butterscotch. This is episode 38 and this is the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer.
2: I'm Adam and I'm the web's programmer. And I'm Sam and I make the art programs. And Today is February 9th.
1: yeah, two thousand sixteen. So what's happened? Oh wait, we have a we also have a warning. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, don't listen to this podcast if you're sensitive or if you're a child. All right. So what's happening this week, you guys? <laughs> 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 Nothing. I mean,
2: there must be something happening.
1: A whole bunch of things
2: were happening.
1: I think a bunch of things happened,
0: and now we're sort of in the routine grind again. Yeah, that's so true. In the aftermath. One thing that happened that we didn't get to. Put into our own role of happenings was the St. Louis Global Game Jam, which, for those who don't know, the Global Game Jam is a worldwide 48-hour uh, global game jam event where you <laughs> get a theme on Friday and everybody has the same theme across the entire planet.
2: But is and this then, game jam a game jam? It's. I mean, it is. It's in a little unclear. Okay.
0: In a sense. And sure. by Sunday, you have to make a game based on that theme. So we all kind of got our... Got our chops in the game jam format, and so we're big fans of it, and we love doing the Global Game Jam because it's just a big crazy event here in St. Louis. And this year, this is really cool. Uh, St. Louis is actually the third largest site uh, in the country in the U.S. with I think like 253 people or something nuts. They apparently couldn't couldn't fit everybody in the uh, in the auditorium afterwards for the for the uh, showing of all these things, and it's like a 300 person auditorium, so a bunch of extra people came to watch and interestingly it was actually the most gameful u.s city in that it produced 53 games so more games were made in st louis uh over the global game jam in the u.s than any other site in the u.s which is pretty
1: nuts yeah, yeah and this is because this is because people in st louis are adopting the idea of smaller teams are better so this this puts the average team size at around like four to five people which even like in my opinion even then that's still a big team for a jam mm-hmm. game yeah um but compared to previous years, sometimes you'd see teams that had 12, 15 people on them. What?
2: So,
1: yeah. So, you know, for the last couple of years, we, we would have still, you know, about 200 to 220 people at the Global Game Jam, but only about 25 games would come out of it. Yeah. Um, and so we've, we've more than doubled our game creation rate, which is awesome. Unfortunately, we couldn't go to the Game Jam because we were – well, we had our first possibility of having a weekend – in like two and a half months. Yeah.
2: Uh, so we had to take it. It was too so, seductive. We, <laughs> yeah.
1: I just slept mostly. Uh, I
2: yeah. don't even remember. Was this just last weekend? Like a two few weekends days ago. ago? Two weekends ago. Okay. Yeah. So, no- you know, normally remember? normally we are
1: all over these game jams because we freaking love them. But at a certain point, we just, our, our whole minds and bodies broke into splinters and we, we couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we'll, We'll be at the next one. Yeah. When sure. is the next one? Do we? There'll probably be it?
0: one. There's usually one in the fall as well. Um,
2: so every which, six months kind of a deal?
0: Yeah. So there'll be one more uh, in St. Louis. And that one actually is uh, usually about half the size of the Global Game Jam one. So it's pretty neat. Uh, there's a lot of people there who are over Sharp Knives.
2: The Global Jam is yearly.
0: Yep. Correct.
2: Okay. And then St. Louis has... What, what's the other jam? Is it a St. Louis uh, it's Scattered usually, Jam and stuff?
0: It's, Yeah. It's either the Scattered Jam or just the St. Louis Game Jam. So... Yeah, so I'd recommend if you
1: are if you are sort of like within the the tri-state of, area. Yeah, if you're within a, a driving distance of say like four hours of St. Louis, I would I would recommend coming to a St. Louis game jam, and we'll we'll have uh, announcements on those in the future in the podcast. But uh, my first experience with sort of group game dev was I drove uh, five hours. I drove from Iowa City down to St. Louis, and that's actually what sort of got me really. Like really entrenched into game dev, so if you're, you know, if you're interested in game dev, do do a game jam. In fact, come to the St. Louis game jam. Do the maybe best. We'll, maybe we'll see you there. Uh, otherwise, we've been working on Crashlands stuff. We've been working on the quality of life patch. Already got a few sort of cool little features put in. One in particular, I think, is pretty interesting, which is colorblind mode. Uh, so in order for this to happen. I had to sort of do a little bit of research on colorblindness and sort of what it means, because I think like you guys could probably back me up on this, but like, we've all heard about like the idea of, you know, Oh, like red, green, colorblind or, you know, whatever. Um, But it's really hard to understand like what that means. Yeah. Because if you can see red and green and blue, you can't, you can't recognize what it would mean to not be able to see those things, <laughs> right. right? And it's not the same as seeing black and white. It's, it's the inability to distinguish between those two colors. And so everything just takes on a completely different look. And this is a particular problem in games because as game designers, we use color to convey a lot of things. It's like a traffic signal, right? Like red is stop and green is go. Well, if you can't tell the difference, that's a problem. And in crash this is a big deal because our, the enemies put these little, you know, circles or telegraphs on the ground so that you can tell where to not be standing when damage is about to hit you. But if you, if you are, say, if you have like a red green color blindness and it's a red circle on a green ground, then suddenly it's just, it's practically invisible to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order, in order to sort of work around this, I, I, managed to uh, find some cool sort of like f- filters, basically, like it is in a, in summary that I could lay on top of the game that would change the way the game looked so that I could sort of experience what Crashlands looks like for a person with these various types of colorblindness. And that would then that allowed me to modify the colors of things in the game to accommodate that. So that, so that if I could see those things, with this filter on, that a person with that type of colorblindness should also be able to see those things. Cool. Um, so that was—I have to say—it was a very eye-opening experience. Um, I've never experienced anything the way that a colorblind person experiences it until Friday of this past week, and uh, I—I'm actually—I I actually am kind of upset at myself for like before we launched Crashlands, we got a couple requests from people saying, "Hey, is this game going to have colorblind options?" and i think you know we were all kind of like in the rush trying to get it out the door and we were just like no like we'll just add it afterwards you know uh, but after playing the game from the perspective of a person with color blindness just oh, like holy crap i can't i don't know <laughs> like i i'm gonna make it a point now to make sure that that is it yeah, it's a, like it's in a all good future practice games. To,
2: to be more inclusive you yeah know? it's to include as many people as possible and
1: yeah, and, and it took way less time than I thought it would. Um, and How many
2: things did you have to change to make it work?
1: It was really just a just a handful of things because the, the things that are most important are things that require, you know, fast reaction based on color, like in combat, right? Yeah. Um, most other things are pretty, you know, pretty easy to manage and pretty easily distinguishable. But if, if you're in the heat of battle and you can't tell what's about to kill you or whether it's about to heal you, right, then that's really bad. That's a problem. Yeah. Um, so th- those are kind of the core things. And so what we're going to do is when we do the quality of life patch, we'll actually put it in the unstable channel and the beta channels and, you know, steam and Google play and stuff like that, uh, put it into test flight so we can get some feedback from people with colorblindness on how those modes are doing. And if it's doing the job, well, if there's anything else that's, you know, unclear. Um, but yeah, that was just a really eye-opening experience for me yeah so actually
2: gonna... and i don't know if, if the two of you even knew about this but because um, i can't remember where it came through our contact form and i might have taken care of it before you guys saw it but there was somebody who wrote in who was thankful that we had made Crashlands playable with the single input uh, because yep. Yep. he's disabled and, and that was the only way he could interact with the game and so he was super pumped about that but then at the same time he was then Maybe even more down than you otherwise would have been because this game was working the way, the way that we intended. Uh, but he went to go do the perk stuff in our other games, and our other games are absolutely not playable. Right. They someone. mostly
1: require two hands. Yeah, they require two yeah. hands to do.
2: Yeah. And it was just it was again it was just one of those things that like we we designed a control scheme for the game we were making without without even considering at all the fact that like some people have one hand or not enough fingers or paralyzed or whatever. like all these kinds of things that could affect a person's ability to interact with a control scheme. Right. Just didn't even think about that fact, um, which just goes to show that, you know, we were privileged as fuck to not have to have thought about that. Right. Uh, but yeah, but, it, but I think it's it's an important thing that we need to do from here on out. And, and maybe if we, you know, can take the chance the take the opportunity every once in a while to look back at our old games and come up with clever ways to make them more, uh, you know, disabled friendly.
1: Just some extra, some accessibility options. Yeah, accessibility options, things, right. Because, or... I
2: mean, yeah, it, it's, it is definitely the case that it's it's hard to come up with a control scheme that would work as well as the ones we have in those previous games, but that's assuming that the person who's who's using it actually has two hands. Because if they don't, it doesn't work at all. Correct. And so there must be some other ones we could come up with that will still do the job uh, for, you know, other kinds of, uh, of situations, so... Anyway, it's it's kind of an is now that now that enough people are playing our games that that what used to be so few people that we never even heard from them um, now is actually enough people that we get to hear from them and realize what we're doing wrong and need to do a better job about. So, but well, we
1: appreciate uh, we do appreciate that like the input because yeah we just don't have perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need yeah. we need other people to provide that for
2: us. Yeah, so, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, and then otherwise we're working on the crash or just getting started on the Crashlands creator. So, yeah, well, not just,
2: exactly just getting started. Well,
1: just getting started on making it ex- accessible yeah, to so humans. Guess,
0: yeah, probably the best the best way to put it is that the creator is actually done. Uh what we really really what we're working on is uh, a light redo of the UI structure for it. Um we're not super interested in doing a complete overhaul even though that, you know, if we were actually putting this out as like a piece of software, like real software, we'd probably do a complete overhaul. But since it's kind of an accessory to the game itself, um, it'll be basically the way it was when we used it to uh, create the entire game with a few additional sort of buttons and things to make life easier. Um, and w- what we're going to do, speaking of colors of various sorts, uh, is actually go with a sort of blueprint theme for it. So it'll be it looks like a it basically looks like a blueprint. So we'll just use blue and white and a couple other colors like that. Um to give this idea of you know you're you're essentially scaffolding out an entire world while you're playing this thing, um, so there's actually not much to do on the just the generic stylings of the thing. Uh, the biggest project is actually going to be not in that, but in the documentation and the tutorials and stuff we're going to build for. it. Because we really want it to be the case that if you say, oh, I really like Crashlands, I want to build something like this. This creator is not a it's not a light tool. Um, this is literally like handing over the keys to an F fifteen. Like it's not a. It's
1: very complicated. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: so it, it's easy enough to understand once you know how the pieces fit together. Wait, what?
1: does an F fifteen have keys?
0: I'm sure it does, man. Okay.
1: I'm sure it does.
0: Okay. I wonder what those keys look like. I don't know. Um, but I mean, it's the case that with with this particular piece of software that uh you're gonna ha- it has a learning curve to it, and so the biggest part of I think what we'll be focusing on with the creator is is less on the visual sexiness of the thing and more on the learnability of it. Um, Which of course, part of that is, is baked into the visual accessibility, but um, it's, it's in a good enough point right now where I think we're going to be spending a lot more time on, on that documentation and the learning materials than on the actual, you know, polish of that thing itself. So damn right. And that thing thing will be in
2: alpha indefinitely. Yeah. Oh yeah! yeah. <laughs> it'll never be. We'll never say that it's a release version. It'll just be. It'll be a thing that we provided for for the community and for people's amusement, so they can they can do cool stuff. But it, it won't be a thing that will provide lots of support for and all that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's essentially a game engine in in all actuality. Uh, it just happens to be that Crashlands is the sort of uh, baseline pieces for it, right. which is a little weird and interesting.
1: Yeah, so we'll have more info on that in the coming weeks as mm-hmm. things go, and also we're. As we get closer to the creator patch and, and out of the, the quality of life patch, uh, we're going to be calling on a lot of our players to help us test the creator, both for you know usability and for, for bugs and stuff like that. Yeah, and
2: the plan is basically the moment that we think the thing is secure and and has all the functions that we intend that it will have. Which really isn't very too far in the future. Uh, basically, the moment that it happens, I'll be I'll start setting up the system to enroll beta testers, because uh, we, we want people in really early to give it a lot of. Because it, it just it it's a big thing. It takes a lot of time to build a story in this thing.
1: It took what? It took three and a half months or so to build the crash in story. And yeah. It, mm-hmm. With two people.
2: With two people, and, but on. we don't. And we also were working super fast and working full time, right? Uh, but. On the other hand, most people who are making stuff for the creator are going to be making much, much smaller things than that. Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah. I mean it's things. it's down to the point now where we could uh, Adam and I both can add, you know, probably an hour long quest chain in about twenty minutes. Um, yeah. At this point, if there's not a lot of uh, if there's not additional artwork to create, such, so yeah. it's the sort of thing that once you once you learn how to do it, you can actually generate a ton of content uh, pretty rapidly. So it'll be really it's, interesting to it's see it's what it of
2: Yeah, it's just it's just a lot of trial and error.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah, we'll have we'll have more info on that as time passes. Uh, all right. So otherwise, that's all the news we have. And now it's time for the segment of the podcast called "Here's Some Games We're Playing." Let's talk about that. Uh, the only game we've actually been playing is Armello. Mm-hmm. So we all picked it up. It was a, there was a Steam sale uh, this past week on Armello. It's a game by League of Geeks, and it's their first and I believe currently only game. Mm -hmm. Uh, they kickstarted it. They raised a few hundred thousand dollars to, to put this thing together. Um, we don't know anything about League of Geeks and all we could find was that they appear to be four dudes from Australia or something. That's our Um, best guess. We saw a picture of them and that was all the information that they made available. So, (laughs) uh, so that's, that's our guess. But Armello is, it's a turn-based strategy game. It's very much has a tabletop game kind of a feel, you know, complete with dice and everything. Um, It's played on a hex grid, and it's sort of like a blend of, I guess, what? It's like got a little bit of RPG character elements, um, some strategy, there's cards. Uh, So we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, Yeah, it's currently on PC, Mac, and Linux, possibly coming to tablets. I think Uh, it's on
2: PlayStation also. Is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yes. want to say, yeah. yeah. yeah they, they, their website, the website for Mellow is, I mean, to me, to me, this whole Web 2.0 thing is now just a joke because what, it's, <laughs> what it seems to mean is have infinite white space and like really pretty appearance, but provide absolutely no context or information anywhere. So, so they really, met, great, did they, they really know. embrace that? Yeah, uh, they really embrace, like the website looks fucking beautiful, <laughs> but if you want to actually learn something, it's basically impossible. Uh, mm. But I saw, I'd swear I saw PlayStation reference somewhere. So I think it's probably on PlayStation. Okay, yeah,
1: I think I remember reading something. If it's not on PlayStation yet, it will be, probably. Um, and it came out in uh, Early Access last January, so January 2015. It released, the full version released in September 2015. Uh, it has a 76 metascore, which, uh, which we can talk about that, but, you know, metascores are not indicative of much. Uh, considering it also got a 5.6 from IGN, I just that blows my goddamn mind. Yeah. Okay. Which, just, as we all go. know, on a on a 10 point scale, a five is about as worst as it worse as it gets. Or as bad right. Let's just. Uh, I mean, let's just dive into this thing then. I well, I also want product. to say though, 88 uh, percent recommendation rate from Steam players. Yeah. So, well, yeah. so. hit it. Here's my thoughts. So, uh, so part of the reason
0: we all wanted to play the same game this week is because so we could actually have a. A spirited discussion about it rather than each of us talking about three other you know games we played. So uh, in, in that light, I think getting something like a 5.6 from IGN just makes makes me wonder what in the hell IGN is doing over there, because first of all, the like the overall production value of this thing is ridiculously good, like ridiculous. Yeah, juicy. Like these guys nail the polish and the juice so well. Um, So it's actually, it's a really, it's a smooth game to play. It's really fun. And it's, it's just damn gorgeous. Like it's a fun world to be in and inhabit. Um, From an actual gameplay standpoint, I thought the the game itself was, was really, really fun. It's basically you're on a hex grid. uh, You're it's you versus three other opponents who are either AI or multiplayer. And you each start in a corner of this hex grid and via essentially four different uh, series of objectives. You try to win the game before your enemies do. And that's, that's it. Um, and you do that by moving around the map, capturing towns, feeding uh, people, casting spells, make traps, all sorts of fun stuff like that. And it has enough different methods for winning in it, like varieties of, of strategies, that my first couple gameplays were, I was kind of confused as to which one I should be doing, I guess. <laughs> um, I still am. It's complex. There's, I mean, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot going on. Well, um, it's not even that
2: it's complex. It's that the game is... The, the consequences of your actions are randomized enough by other shit that's happening on the board that, uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed the game. Like I had a lot of fun playing it, but it's one of those games that I felt like I had literally no control over at all.
0: Yeah. So that's actually, that's essentially what my, my one beef with, uh, me- the mechanics of the whole thing was that, yeah. uh, you, while you can go into it with a strategy that you would prefer to do, and you can choose a few items that your characters is sort of equipped with to help in whatever that strategy is, uh, before the game starts, you don't really have control over which strategy is best for you to use. And that's because no. of the randomization of stuff on the map. So, uh, for example, you complete quests in this game and quests give your character permanent boosts to like health and damage, that sort of thing, which allow you, of course, to do better in battle and, and other things. The problem is that if you want to, like, if you say, I'm going to pursue quests, it's like, that's my main way I'm going to, I'm going to win the game. Uh, Quests can oftentimes and will oftentimes, as, as in fact probably fifty percent of the time, because of how the map is structured, spawn on the opposite side of the map from where you yeah, spawn. Yeah, so it takes
2: forever to get over there, and the chances of you getting there are intact are not great.
0: Right, and yeah. then <laughs> okay. the exact same thing happens with uh, what they call a spirit stone. So one of the ways to win is by collecting these four spirit stones from around the map, uh, and the same issue presents itself there, which is that they randomly spawn in stone circles as well as can be randomly gotten from dungeons. Uh, but it's, it's random enough that it's the same sort of issue where you can... Well, it's
1: not random enough. It's just completely random. Right. Like, it's just totally random. And so,
0: <laughs> as a result, you can actually have a really strong early game of collecting these spirit stones. and get, like, two of them, you know, really quickly. And then the next one will spawn on the other side of the map. And you try to get there and die. And you can't do it. Try to get there and die. And by that time, like, someone else is, you know... Someone else happened to acquire, like, three of them. And now you're like, well, I guess I'll throw that strategy in the trash <laughs> right. uh, and move on. So, it's... It was interesting to me because from a, from a gameplay perspective, there wasn't much the, – it didn't ever feel like I was able to actually establish momentum yeah. in whatever strategy I was pursuing. I yeah, actually so what I had to I do this remain flexible the entire
1: time. Yeah, so speaking of momentum – so I actually played a, an online match. Uh, so I played, I think, three or four single-player matches to kind of figure out how the game worked. And then I was like, I'm going to jump into a multiplayer match. Um, and that's exactly what happened to me in the multiplayer match. Uh, it actually happened to everybody where each player over the course of like the first half of the match had clearly sort of like tried to pick a strategy that they were going to use to win. And it didn't work for anybody actually, because the game, the game concluded by one player who was in, who was at the very bottom. So there's basically, there's four different ways to win. Um, And one player who wasn't pursuing any of those, uh, and it was actually just getting beaten up by everybody the whole time uh, on the very last turn, walked into the palace and fought the king. And just by luck of the dice, because that's how the battles are, are fought, uh, just by the luck of the dice, managed to kill the king and survive with one hit point. <laughs> and that person won the game, even though even though yeah. the, the the position of lead was bouncing around between the other three of us throughout the throughout the game. I think it bounced. I think it changed hands like four different times. Um, and my personal issue was I, uh, my first like six or seven battles that I fought, I just rolled terribly with my dice. Like I actually had more dice than my opponents did, but most of my dice ended up being right. misses, garbage. yeah, just garbage. And I just got my ass kicked repeatedly. And then finally I completed my first quest that my next quest was at the exact furthest position on the board from my spawn point. <laughs> and I spent the last half of the game just trying to get across the board. And, right. w- and like the closest I got was one square away. And at that point I got hit by a spell from somebody and just one shot and killed <laughs> and I reappeared back on the opposite end. Um, yeah. So it, it really, uh, well, it really is very random. Yeah.
0: I want to bring up the, so they, in the most recent patch, it says they addressed some pacing issues, which I'm not sh- so sure what they, what those were, but I, I, my guess is that the game was even less tuned now than of course like you know six months or a year ago when it actually came out for the first time um for you know less tuned for this sort of uh enjoyable play i guess uh but one one interesting tweak i think that you know perhaps they should consider with regards to the quest structure so those quests just they just randomly spawn anywhere on the map it it appears um given what what we've all seen from it and the easiest thing to do is actually like if they built in a distance loop structure to that so the first you know, the first quest you got would only spawn, say, a max of, like, five tiles away from your starting point. The next one, a max of, like, seven, and then, you know, et cetera. So that as you're completing more and more of these quests, which, of course, is making you more powerful, you're actually able to... You're
1: venturing further out.
0: Right, and yeah. you're also, every time you complete a quest, you get, you know, your character actually improves. And so the ability of you to, say, go across the entire map, you know, you're you're going to be actually able to do that, like, around the time that the end of the game comes. And so if you happen to randomly get a quest right now that puts it your second quest, for example, on the other side of the map, you just kind of have to, you know, not do it, which isn't particularly enjoyable.
2: Um, <laughs> I don't know. For for me, like, I don't know. I, I ended up kind of treating it as a PVE kind of game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my wife and I played a bunch of rounds of it. Um, the first the first round that we played I was trying to do a quest-based thing, so I was like trying to get to the, each quest location. As as say I was there describing, it's always infinitely far away, and and it also just so happened that I failed every quest that I. Had. I mean, it's just random, right? So <laughs> I failed every single. Yeah. Quest. So I was just. Like, oh, I'm you mad. you never took the safe option. No, I never took the safe option, and, uh, <laughs> and so each time in did it, I lost. And so and, and then when you lose, you something bad happens to you, and you don't get the thing you were trying to get, and so just over and over again, uh, I was not only not progressing, but moving backwards while everybody else in the game, which was just my wife and the AIs, were doing better and better. But even still, I managed a last-minute coup, and suddenly, via a few sort of lucky situations, managed to, like, you know, I I killed one of the bad guy things, I killed a player, I killed a Kingsguard, all of which give you uh, influence. And... Got a few towns under my control. All of a sudden had tons of magic. Got a few good spell cards. Like everything just kind of all of a sudden lined up really nicely in a row. Culminating in letting me just enter the the castle and kill the king. Hmm. So just so I was losing for literally the entirety of the game. And then all of a sudden got to win. So one of the cool things that the ridiculous amount of randomness does is it makes it so that... So yeah, you, you can't get momentum. It's impossible. Because at any moment... And, and I mean, some of the cards that, that can be played against you... Have really severe impacts. Like one of Mm -hmm. the ones that I played against somebody, one of the AIs, who at that time was ahead and influenced by like eight or something. So they were like way, way out in the lead. And I had a card that would knock their influence down by one every single turn until they died. Jeez. (laughs) Yeah. So this Uh, character had to go. And also, when you die, you lose an influence as well. Yeah. So. And so. So like so that they just have all these different mechanisms to play. Aside and of course, they can't actually
0: is. kill themselves because of how random the game is.
2: Yeah, you can't even you can't lose on purpose <laughs> either. Right. Oh, yeah. uh, so 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 to me that was actually interesting because it, it makes it if it's if you're the kind of person who just like feels like you have to win stuff, this is not a good game for you. Um, if you're the kind of person who just enjoys the experience of like. Uh, of constantly cause because it's not that you don't get to make a plan, it's that your plan always gets shat on, right? And so and you have it, to try
1: to adjust. Yeah, you can't, so you can't all all adjust adaptation. on purpose.
2: Exactly. But. So it's all yeah. about adaptation is is you figure out where you are, you see what's happened, figure out where all the other players are, where like the bad guys have spawned. There's all this kind of stuff that's happening all the time. Sure. Every single one of those things throws a wrench in your plan and so now you make a new plan.
0: But I guess here's here's my my disagreement with you on that. Because so, the the one interesting thing I noted about after I was finished playing a few rounds of Armello was that I had no urge to play another round of Armello, like, at all. Um, once I sort of got the idea of what, what the game did and, and played it a few enough times to actually, you know, win a game or two. And I think part ah, of the reason for it's that was It's not a single-player game. Well, that's, I mean, that's part of it. But the other reason is that is that I had zero sense of, like, capable growth coming from playing the game because when
2: i won i I didn't feel like i won i just felt like i randomly happened to be the person who. right and i think (laughs) that's what i'm saying
0: though i i i think a lot of games have actually tried to aim for this so uh, we've talked about this before the heroes of the storm actually performs a similar sort of weird thing where what they wanted to do with the moba was make it so that like at any point your team could come back and win uh which is essentially the same thing that's happening here in armello the problem is what that does is it in my, in my mind, and what happened to me while playing Armello and while playing Heroes of the Storm is that it, it, stripped, it stripped enough agency from me that it didn't make it feel like playing the game would give me any sort of skills or anything like that to make it so that as I played the game more, that I'd be better at playing the game. I felt like I would just be literally rolling a dice more every single time I played.
1: Well, I, th- um, I think they really just took a, a really big page out of the tabletop board game. Yeah. right i mean it's just everything is sort of contingent on what cards you draw what dice you roll uh and then you like what you get to do is basically decide where your character is on the board but what what happens to your character and then the outcomes of those events are just left completely to chance yeah but but then
2: you get to choose how risky you want to take things and i like the fact was that every single one of those those like quests that i had i could have there is a safe option that i could have chosen right yeah but so here's but the crazy I thing want though. To.
0: yeah so the, here's the crazy thing is that after i played a few times i i in the beginning i only chose the risky ones because so i was like whatever i need rewards actually toward the end i only chose the safe ones i never once towards the end unless i had like a 90 percent plus chance would choose the really like the risky option
2: i started so, doing i started only doing risky things actually i did exactly the opposite as as i as i realized more and more that
0: Oh, you mean because it's totally random? So who because it's totally shit?
2: random, yeah. Well, but the fact <laughs> is, you know, yeah, because and it makes it more interesting on on the one hand, right? But the fact was that cause I used to in my first few games, I completely avoided stuff like traps and uh, and like the the cave things, whatever you call those, like the ruins, the dungeons, have, yeah, the dungeons. I completely avoided those things. I didn't want anything bad to happen. But every time something bad happens, it provides random opportunities for good stuff, right? And you can often move forward a little faster than you move back, even when bad stuff happens. And so, so for me, actually, like doing the risky stuff was fun. But, but I do want to say, like, I think, I think we're kind of all in agreement about what this game is like. And to me, it's mm-hmm. it's a tabletop game, and it is like I'm pretty sure you can convert this like straight to a tabletop game, and it would look less awesome, obviously, but it would yeah. be exactly the same. Yeah. It would also um, be
1: much more complicated to manage. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's there's not a lot of for like, there's a lot of dice. Yeah. There's a lot
2: of dice. <laughs> but, uh, but so when I was because my wife and I play board games together all the time, and the thing that is the thing that I love about board games that do this is that it allows you to, to do it as a purely as a social exercise i don't, I don't see it as like com- competing or anything like that it's a social exercise because what those games allow you to do is play with anybody it doesn't matter and it doesn't matter like how much you've played the game versus a total noob that comes in right everybody gets to crushed because yeah you can still, get, have, crushed yeah, you can the still get crushed or still win and so everybody gets to kind of come in and have the same experience yeah but here's
1: the downside though in online play, they don't let you chat with people.
2: Yeah, I would.
1: No, no, no. There's, it's like Hearthstone. There's predefined uh, there's predefined things your character can say on your behalf, but you can't type anything.
2: Yeah, right. I, I mean, that's like, the reason I really enjoy, like. I, I actually really like this game. Um, I, yeah. But I really like it in the way that I can sit down with my wife or with people I know, people I'm friends with, or Sam and Seth or whatever. I can sit down in real life with laptops or over VoIP. Or whatever, and just chat about shit and like have a good social time. It's not an
1: intense game, game that yeah. takes a lot of skill and attention. Well, in it's fact, not, actually, it's not Rocket League.
2: No, so. and, and, <laughs> there are and there's like timers and stuff, but I would actually I would turn all of those off. And just yeah, right. it, yeah, and just play it like a board game, um, yeah. purely for a social. Yeah. So I, th- I think we're probably all kind of on the same page about what the game feels like. Um, yeah, which is that it's yeah, it doesn't feel like something you could get good at. I, I wonder though if you played it enough. Um, I think there's got to be some... There's, there's got to be, be some strategies, strategies yeah. Because I think it's... With anything that has a lot of randomness, but... Because there there are things, like, you un- as you win and stuff, you unlock these trinkets that you can start the game with that will, like, give you a few bonus things. And so, for example, you can choose... And you have character classes that have different advantages over each other. Uh, but then you can modify that advantage further with these things you unlock. And right. so, for example, after, after a few rounds, they unlock a the thing that let me... Increase my wisdom by one, which actually gets lets me draw one extra card every time, right? Which is yeah. which is even though everything else is very random, that's a major advantage because it gives me a thirty three percent increase in likelihood of getting something interesting, right. uh, for the entire game, right? So I think there's probably some things like that, and then also what character you choose and what strategies you go by, that while it's still random, so any given moment you'll have no idea if it's going to work out in the sort of like the long view, sort of just like gambling, right? In the long mm-hmm. view. You can tweak your probabilities to end up on, on top.
1: Right. Probably. I mean, it, to me, it's kind of like uh, like Monopoly where I uh, – so I did a bunch of research on sort of like what spaces get landed on the most on average in Monopoly um, and sort of like which spaces give the best bang for your buck. In did you do of- a
2: simulation to do this or how did you do it?
1: Uh, Other people have already done those. Yeah, I figured somebody. So I so I just looked into all this stuff, and and so for example, it turns out that I believe it's Atlantic Avenue is the most is the most landed on space, and the most landed on group of spaces is the three orange ones, Uh, and in both cases, those are on the like expensive end of the board, right? So there's like there's like two sets of properties per side of the board, and those are the higher end ones. So your bang for your buck with houses and hotels is better on those. Uh, so if you just like go after the orange and the yellows, then you're going to win way more often than, than not. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's always dominant strategies that will pop up like that. But.
0: Right. I think as far as like two things, or I guess uh, as far as one thing that I think, so seeing the game for what it is, which is, which is very genuinely a board game, as Adam's pointed out, um, I would give it, I mean, basically straight up just high marks across the board. because Yeah, it's great. It's, yeah. it's extremely well good. I think, fun. Yeah, I think if you're coming into it looking at it as if it's supposed to be something else, you're going to have a really hard time, one of yeah. which is... That's it, always
1: true, though. It is.
0: It is true, <laughs> but I think, I think there's an exceptional danger with this particular game. And I think it's probably... I didn't read the IGN review. I didn't realize it have gotten that low of a score, but my guess is going to be... That they pegged it as something that it wasn't, and then blamed it for not being that thing, yeah. which is what which these is,
1: reviewers tend to often do.
2: Which is about to happen to us from Destructoid.
1: Yep, that one's coming down the pipe at some point. <laughs> yeah. um, and so they're, they're pretty mad that that Crashlands is not Don't start Yeah, yeah. they're, they're going to be real upset about that.
0: <laughs> um, but so it's it's interesting to look at it because uh, the the one thing that I honestly that I really honestly wish was in this game. I looked at the updates that are coming up, and they clearly have no plans for it. Um, but the world that they made is so cool and gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, all I actually wanted, I really wanted a single player uh, campaign. Um, well, and know, they,
2: it, they actually, they clearly could do it because they basically, they, did they do it with the tutorial. The tutorial. Yeah. yeah,
0: absolutely. And so uh and it would, it would require them to be a more flexible with the board layout, you know, essentially uh, at the end of the day. But, but I think like that would be the thing that, that would turn this from being like a really fun game into, to me, like an actual game that I would keep playing. Yeah. Like,
2: Cause then it comes with a story. More. Cause actually
0: I, the I really enjoyed, are being so
2: cool. Yeah, I love the tutorial. Like, even though yeah, so cool. It, it introduces concepts very slowly. Like, it actually kind of does what Crashlands does, right? Which is uses story to teach the game, but never makes you feel like there's stuff you don't know yet. Mm-hmm. You just keep on learning new stuff until at the end, like now you know all the parts of the game. Um, and while you're playing it, of course, like I was confused the whole time I was I was playing the tutorial because I was like, I don't actually know how to do anything yet. But they, it was done in a in a well enough way that I just felt like I was playing through a story. Right. So yeah it was it was well done they clearly have the capability to do it I think that but that's
0: actually that's cool. actually what I was confused by though from watching the trailers and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I I was actually I was genuinely confused after I did the tutorial and played a single player game because I thought I thought single player meant like you know campaign in a right. sense. Um no, it was
2: just you versus ais.
0: Yeah and, and like the same yeah. sort of 40 minute match every time. Uh so yeah. I was actually that maybe that was a, I don't know if that was like a marketing thing on their front because I, mean, I I looked into the game a while ago and then did not buy it. Uh, when it first came out i remember it coming out being super impressed with the graphics and watching the trailers being like whoa this looks really neat um so i you know their their trailers and stuff really sort of lean on the story or i guess the world that they've created but in the end the the aspect that you get of that is just in the text-based stuff uh and the the interfacing of the multiplayer stuff so there's there's not actually any campaign built into the game which i think is to me is is a bit of a
1: well, I have yeah. to say one thing that I think would work really well with this game. So, Sam, you're talking about sort of the lack of meta level loop yeah. where, you know, you if you win a game, like, yeah, maybe you'll unlock a new ring or something that you can equip on your character to change something. But you, you your character never just like gets better. Right. Correct. Um, it just gets different. But one thing that actually I think would work with Armello that they did not do on the meta level is deck building.
0: Yeah. Yeah, either yeah. either deck building, or if you if you want to take an actual competitive approach as well, like as the, from the Hearthstone side, if you just do uh, something essentially akin to to the League of Legends talent tree system, yeah. right, for matchmaking yeah. purposes, and and that way people can can specialize a little bit with their cards, or you know get little bonus extra skills that they can always have on their characters. And I think it's to me it's it's it doesn't quite have enough
1: meta level content. Uh, in well, my, and, my and deck idea. building would allow you to actually create a strategy because, for example, Absolutely, one yeah. thing that drove me crazy was like I was playing a character. Where I was trying to avoid getting rot like because the, the way that the rot system works is basically like it's a thing that gets stuck to your character. And suddenly, you're like, if you have not very much of it, it puts you at almost a complete disadvantage in every aspect of the game. <laughs> so, the, so the only way to to sort of overcome that is to just cover yourself with it. Like you, like you have to go all the way with it and get tons of rot. And then all of a sudden you become really overpowered uh, while also constantly dying slowly. Mm. Uh, so I was like, man, cause I, I kept occasionally, I would just draw like a two cards that gave my character rot. And that's not what I was trying to do. Like, I'm like, Oh, I want swords. Like I want some equipment or whatever. Right, right. Uh, and it turns out I was just like forced into this particular play style and um, and I think I think the if you had a deck building aspect where you could choose a suite of cards to bring to the table, then all of a sudden that would change. Yeah, no, that's everything. a great point. Yeah,
0: is there? So I I know you can look at your cards. I didn't actually. Are, yeah, did we miss something? Think, can you build well, it? Maybe.
2: I you mean, if not. it's in there, that would be great. I but, don't think uh, so. They, they they show you. Yeah, they have that thing on like the main menu of the game where you can look at all the cards that you have seen.
0: But okay, I guess so. I don't think the, that's
2: actually a deck building aspect.
0: Okay. Yeah. The, the reason I ask is because so we found out. Uh, I think it was last week after talking about Sunless Sea and about how it, we would both enjoy it a lot more if we could just not die and start over completely. No, oh, no, it's still... We found out, well, I just want to point out, we found out that there's a merciful mode in that where it just turns off the permadeath. No, it does <laughs> not. <that> what, what <laughs> no, no, that's wait, not what there's not? No.
2: It doesn't it turn do- off permadeath. It lets you save at any time. It doesn't autosave. Because the normal one autosaves on death and every time you go to a port. So, so then once you die you're dead because they saved you being dead right <laughs> um, merciful mode basically it doesn't actually turn off death it just lets you then if save around saving, yeah you can basically quick save and get out of it mm. um but it, so to me then as a consequence it still doesn't quite work no i mean it doesn't actually fix any of the problems that, that, <laughs> that i had okay. with that game mm. um my wife actually played a bunch of it last weekend and also like really liked it um and played a few hours of it but then by the, by the by that time, she was just like, "This is just moving too slowly." You know, like he, yeah, it's just because you keep dying. So yeah. Well, she wasn't even dying. It was like,
0: are you talking about the boat itself?
2: Yeah, the boat moves too fucking slowly. So, because like, yeah. <laughs> she was, like, she was finally getting into the story. Like, and one of the stories in particular that I experienced was this crazy thing where you go to this island and there's these like rats versus these guinea pigs, and you get to help them orchestrate which one of them wins this like epic gory battle. I mean, it's all in text, right? But it's really well written and very fun. And so, like, I helped one of them out, and then it turned. there was some treachery involved, and then there's sort of a, you know, there's a randomness component. And so, all these awesome things happened, and then half an hour later, I had no more fuel, and just I was done with the game. Like, that was the end of it. And now I know that cool storyline exists, but in order to get the interesting stuff from it, I'd have to go literally play that thing again. Mm-hmm, right. And the fun thing about it was how, like, surprising and interesting and, and exciting it was. And now, basically, all of a sudden every time you play the game, it necessarily gets less exciting because you see more and more stuff you've already seen. And there's no way around Well, shit. I know. I actually became, I have to get, because Sam said that. He was like, hey, you don't have to have permadeath. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'll go back and do it. And now I'm even more distraught than I was <laughs> <laughs> last
1: time I played it. Uh, my bad. Well, let's not let's not dwell on it too long. Let's uh, let's hit some questions. Yeah, yeah I mean, we from got tons of questions. Everybody's uh, asking questions. Yes, yeah, so we got a whole bunch of questions. These questions come from podcast.bscotch.net, and these are asked by mostly B-Scotch ID members, with the occasional anonymous Joe or Jane squeezed into the mix. Uh, so our first question comes from Anti Spleen with eighteen upvotes. The question is: Has the scotch ID helped with piracy rates? What else are you doing to combat piracy? Numbers? <laughs> Can you share some numbers? Numbers? He had like two exclamation points sandwiching a question mark, wow. which I assume is is uh,
2: pronounced that way. Yeah, I think that's so, pretty accurate.
1: Yeah. So what what are the numbers? What's happening? Well, what do we know about scotch ID and pirates?
2: <laughs> right. Uh, I guess the we, we have a bunch of kind of interesting numbers moving around in the, on our servers um, via Bscotch ID. So we, we can kind of get a sense of what's going on. Um, I think the, the most important thing to say, though, is that we, we didn't make Bscotch ID with the intention of it preventing piracy really in any, any way. Um, because no matter what you do, if you try to prevent piracy, you're going to end up somehow screwing with honest players. That's just, that's just inevitable.
1: See SimCity Four or Diablo,
2: or Diablo, Diablo Three, <laughs> or, or basically any big game from a big publisher, um, has has some set of stories, especially around launch, where their piracy measures screwed with the average honest player. So, so that was never the intention of Sketch ID. Uh, but one thing that we did want it to do, though, is is sort of filter out pirates, not because it was actually preventing them from using it. Um, but because they would just be less likely to use it. And, and, you, and you see the same kind of concept in a lot of other games where people have kind of given up on fighting piracy because it's just it's a losing battle. And instead have been trying to provide web-based stuff in their games that requires a login and, and all that um, because it, it then gives them some control over stuff and provides a bunch of cool bonus stuff that the player gets. And when you mix all these things together, it just turns out that it's more likely that, that only honest players will come into it. And a lot of it is because, of course, they provide you with an email address.
1: Yeah, we, yeah people who have a, a, an illegal copy of a game or who are committing fraud in some way uh, tend to not hand over their personal contact information. Yeah, they're a little less <laughs> likely to do it. Which is they, they know that they're not doing the right thing.
2: So one of the best examples of this comes from our free to play games uh, where we can, you know, we, we have better stats there about who's doing what, because all purchases talk to our server first and all that kind of stuff. And so what we found there is that of our players, of our BSketch ID players, people who've logged into games, only 6% of them try to fraudulently purchase stuff in those
1: games. 6%? 6. So that's, that's of people who are logged in and try to make a purchase.
2: The reason I'm I'm
0: screaming that is because of the number that's coming up.
2: Yeah, I know. So the number that's coming up, if you look at players who have not logged in, um, 70% of their purchases are fraudulent. 70%! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: so the difference is uh, more than almost, I guess, almost 12 times... So non-logged in players are 12 times more likely to try to commit yeah, a fraudulent purchase. Exactly. And this, is,
2: this is controlling for the fact that that non-logged in player or people that are that are committing or attempting fraud also attempt multiple purchases and that kind of thing. So th- this is controlling for all that stuff. So it just it's our data shows that yeah, you're 12 times more likely, uh, or you're basically, or the converse of that is you're a twelfth as likely to be in scotch ID if you're a pirate. Mm -hmm. I wonder if
1: people who do this, who like download a program that submits fake purchase data to a server in order to take or like gain access to something they were supposed to have to pay for. I wonder if uh, someone who does this actually considers it to be fraud. No. Because that's what – I
2: mean that's what it is. No, I think they don't. And I I think it's because of two reasons. One is the numbers are so small, right? Because like especially on mobile, they're like it's like a dollar purchase or a $2 purchase or whatever. And so it's kind of like shoplifting a pack of gum, right? It's not a big deal. Yeah. It's like it's people – like yeah, that's bad and you shouldn't do it. But it doesn't feel the same as stealing a car, right? Like – the, the theft level is clearly very, very different there. Um, so I think I think that's one part. And the other part, of course, is that uh, most of the time that they're using these things are doing it against companies that they perceive as being these massive, all-powerful, evil corporations. And so it's like... Which they, we've actually
0: gotten. We've, we've gotten that, that we've gotten slam that. more than yeah, a few times. More than a few
2: times.
1: Someone will send us an email and be like, you
0: guys are so goddamn greedy, I'm probably not even going to be able to talk to a person huge tower <laughs> right. like literally
1: list. this email just went to the person who made all the art for yeah <laughs> exactly. i'm like steve
0: steve calm down man <laughs> just, just relax
1: relax, just relax. Uh, so what about actual piracy numbers
2: yeah so look at piracy numbers uh for so it, it's important to also know that that the way that people steal stuff is very different for free-to-play games and for games that you have to buy right and so as a consequence, then the, the races are different. And so Crashlands is really interesting for us because it's our first game that is that is successful that that is pay up front. So we also get to see, and we have it on mobile and on Steam, so we can see the numbers everywhere. So what we found uh, is to no one's surprise, uh, the fraction, and, and I won't get into detail about like where these numbers come from, but... Um, but uh, but i think i'll say up front that they're adjusted for the fact that people sometimes install the same game on multiple devices and and all kinds of stuff. So we've adjusted for everything that we can adjust so that we we believe these uh, so the end result is that on android the minimum piracy rate probably is 90 is
0: 90% minimum minimum so this is so, this is so four it's four at least lines. 90
2: it's at yeah. least 90%. And so this is different than what you'll hear in most other places so every once in a while people put out their stats and usually what they put out is a maximum.
1: It's kind of an overinflated. Yeah, it's it's number. it's
2: probably inflated a bit to an unknown degree, but it's probably inflated a bit. Ours are probably deflated a bit. Um, so so these are a little bit different than what you hear in most places. Uh, but yeah, so ninety percent piracy on Android, um, twenty percent on iOS,
0: which is incredible. Um, if I maybe, <laughs> yeah, which
2: is actually really impressive, and really surprising, and to me that one was particularly interesting because. When we first did it, it was actually when we did the when we did the raw calculation, it was more like forty percent, which was similar to what we've seen elsewhere is people reported like fifty uh, forty to fifty percent piracy. Um, but but once we corrected for multiple installs, then it dropped a lot. Um, so it's only twenty percent. So that yes, yeah, so that one was kind of surprising. Uh, and I think part of it is it turns out that iOS users, I think a lot of them own, they, yeah, they'll, they'll have an iPad and an iPhone. Yeah, an iPad or, and an iPhone. Yeah, exactly. So I think a lot of, there's just a lot of people installing multiple things. Um, and then finally, we have PC Mac. We don't know which one's the Switch because we just know it's on, it's that's our, our Steam version of the game. Uh, the piracy rate is 73%. Uh, uh, so, I mean, we we don't know. I mean, it,
1: it could be that it's super low on Mac and super high on PC or vice versa. Uh, but we also know that about 10% of our Steam players are Mac players. Yeah. Well,
2: uh, that that one to me is also, also interesting because it's only about one and a no, 3% of people on Steam are Mac users, but 10% yeah, of our, yeah. of our player base on Steam. So for some reason we have a three, threefold enrichment of, 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 of yeah, Mac users. I don't know why that is. It's kind of weird.
0: I mean, I'm wondering, it may be just be if they're, if they're thoroughly embedded in the, you know, the Apple uh, ecosystem that they're more likely to get it because of the cross-purchase stuff on iOS or the the cross uh, cross save cross
2: platform that's stuff could Quite be possible. But yeah, so but, the end, I mean, end result is... of uh, of all of this is that uh ID itself doesn't prevent any piracy. Um I mean if, if you're logged in well yeah, so it or does it, it, it prevents do, fraud. It prevents fraud, but actually it's not true because that's already being prevented. Um, if you log into Bescotch mm-hmm. ID, it just now we know who it was that tried to do fraud, but That's true. <laughs> it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't add any additional prevention um, what it does do is it, is it basically provides the pool of our players who are, who are the most engaged with us, which is awesome. Cause these are the people who pr- went out of their way to sign up for a service that we're providing, give us their email address, they're getting our newsletters. And they're also way more, they're way more likely to do things like join our forums and listen to our podcasts and all that. So it provides, it provides a very enriched population of players who are just much more engaged in our games. Um, so that's the real value of it is, is not in preventing piracy, but in just having – just creating a much better social relationship between players and and us. Yeah, and that's something that I think we've always
1: sort of thought about or known, at least on some level, that uh, pirates as players tend to exist in the shadows. You know, you can't, you can't form a relationship with them. Like, they don't want to form a relationship with you as a developer. They just want the thing that you made. Um, and then it should just end there and – that's it. Everybody just goes their separate ways, um, and of course, as a developer, you want you want to sort of grow a fan base, right? You want to make it. You want to make it so that everybody who bought game one buys game two. Plus, you know, you get an additional group of people who have never heard of you before. Um, so, you, like, you want to constantly be growing that following, and pirates don't don't tag along with that. Um, so, yeah, that that's what makes it really difficult, I think. But yeah, Beastcatch ID helps helps with that side of things. Uh, so let's hit the next question, which... So we do have, we do have one from Mia Kitty, but it's another kind of stats question. Uh, so we could probably hold off on that one for maybe next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next question comes from I Don't Know. That's their Bscotch ID. Uh, with 11 upvotes, what game did you have the most fun developing, including jam games?
2: Mm. I think we've answered a similar variant to this question maybe but in the past what is it for me like i haven't i just haven't been involved in as many games um i would so i I have two answers as a straight up just like making a game thing it would be do you even lift Mm -hmm. no yeah yeah and the reason for that for me is just more personal it's just because that is the only game that i've made in in butterscotch shenanigans where i was there from the beginning of the game's inception True, and, correct, and it's a tiny game, and it's not. I mean, we may make a version of it that will be, well, a except for release. Gerblins, but that was before Butterscotch, and like it was a different thing entirely. True. Uh, so, so for me, it was that one for that reason. The next one would be Crashlands, just because of how of the because the fun part of that to me wasn't even necessarily in the building it, although that was fun, but in the the launch part of development where. Because Crashlands is the thing that converted our studio from the thing that we were hoping we could manage to turn into our just long-term career to the thing that actually is now. Yeah. Because yeah, man. it made it so that we can pay ourselves, which is great. <laughs> which means we can keep making games. Which means games. we can keep making games. And uh, and this is – this is, I mean, the fact – and we keep on like remembering and then forgetting again this fact – but the fact is, like starting basically two weeks ago, that that's the first time in the three years the studios existed, and it's all because of Crashlands that we suddenly have conf like real confidence and a in a and a full evidence-based right to be confident um, about the future of of what we're trying to create here.
0: We'll be around for a while now.
1: Yeah. So deal
2: with it, guys. We're in it for the long haul.
1: Yeah. All right. So next question comes from or right, Sam, did you have a game you wanted to? Or is it do you even lift
0: uh well do you even lift is obviously the most hilarious reason one but I think conceptually narwhal online uh, is is by far the one I most I I loved developing that one because that was that was one of the first ones we actually all three got to work together on um, and Adam you I think you were there for the whole yeah I was there the for whole, the whole thing you was... just didn't have any hands in the in the no. game itself um because that was that was basically when beastcott D was made was actually over that weekend for the first time. Uh, so that, that one, I think was the most fun just cause I think the juice elements in that one, like, so I watched the video today cause we had a chat with, a with a journalist from, uh, here in St. Louis and we showed him a video and some of the juice stuff, like when you, when you hit an enemy and the, your horn pings out of your hand and you go sliding backwards and catch, I don't know. It was just,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> it's a simple, simple game, but I just loved it. And then the overall concept, which is that everybody is feeding into this global war effort you know, no matter where you're playing from, what color of narwhal you are, you're feeding into this global effort.
1: But there's uh, a race between the narwhal tribes. Yeah,
0: of course. And I remember how people, like we had like 400 people play, playing it when we just put it up, you know, quietly on our site. Uh, and they were getting really intense about it. They were, you know, developing sort of slurs for each of the different tribes and stuff. And it was just, it was <laughs> starting getting out of control. We're like, <laughs> we had to shut it down. You know, it's yeah. like that stuff is hilarious. So I, I'm really excited. To take that, I mean, do you even lift also? Both of those, I'm really excited to to uh, take up a notch in the future. Take it to the next level. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, for me, I, I mean, it's definitely Crashlands. Only because, for me, the fun part of game dev is just solving unknowns and sort of tackling new problems. And goddamn, Crash, Crashlands <laughs> was just a never-ending, torrential downpour of problems. And you said was,
2: but you meant is. Well yeah,
1: it's still it still is. I mean there's all kinds of stuff that we're working on for the quality of life patch and stuff that everyone's we, like, hey, how can't we just get get pinched to move on that map? Yeah, I just <laughs> okay. like, oh God, oh, give me two weeks.
2: Well to <laughs> me the funniest part of the whole thing is is people people present those ideas like like really just straightforward, obvious ones like that, like pinched to move on a map, right? Which as if like it was something that we just didn't think of and so decided not to do. Um, you right. right. <laughs> when, it, when it's stuff like that, that's like the obvious stuff that, that, that everybody universally agrees would make life better or, or people who are like, Oh, the map is so slow to load. Right. And it's like, we know this, we're well aware of this fact. It's, it's that way because of things that we just couldn't get around during the normal development of the game. Right. And the pinch to zoom is one of those things just like, because of the way the map is made it just turns out for a weird set of reasons that it's super hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Seth are you actually doing that? Is that part of the plan? Uh, I'm trying to. Sure. Trying to anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot hard. more
1: complicated than
2: you. What think. would you say is the most interesting quality of life thing that you're going to be adding for this patch?
1: Oh geez, uh, or the
2: few more most interesting ones, if there are. In my
1: opinion, none of them are interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're just like every single one of them is just like a small thing that just makes the game you know slightly more enjoyable right. so I do want to say someone asked about having like you know mannequins to get your armor and
0: stuff on yeah and we used to, we used to have one of those we had the hat uh, rack with, was it just the hat, the hat rack? rack yeah it was just the hat rack it was the only one ever made because when Seth made it it caused so many problems because it was that just
1: fucking hat rack
0: <laughs> <laughs> it caused so many problems. half of our bug
1: reports came from that hat
0: rack but I, think, I don't know why I think, it really I, think alpha, I like right? yeah yeah, I the way the hat rack works. Whatever hat you were wearing, you go and slap the hat rack, and then it would just take your hat. Yeah, and I think I want to do that, but with I I, I do want to have a full mannequin set, but it should just steal all of the stuff that you're equipped with. <laughs> you just <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> your weapon, good. your full arm—it's like you slap it, and it just steals sucks all your shit off, which is going to be the funniest thing. So I hope
1: <laughs> we get to do that. But and
2: if you slap we'll it see. again, it would throw them back on. You presume?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's perfect.
2: That would be pretty amazing.
1: All right, so we got time for maybe one or two more. Uh, So next question comes from Alan MB. Question is, didn't hear anything about the shirts after the holiday period. How did they do? How many were sold? Can we have a butterscotch mob and storm a castle or something? That escalated quickly, Alan. It did. It did. So the shirts we did, just for those who don't know... we have these pretty sweet butterscotch shirts. They're black, and they have butterscotch shenanigans on Wait, wait, on hold the on. Front.
2: Quick poll. How many of the three of us are wearing one right at this moment?
1: I'm wearing one. I'm wearing, yeah, I'm wearing mine. So am I. Dude, <laughs> yeah. they're so comfortable. <laughs> they're it's really ridiculous. comfortable shirts. Um, yeah, so we did a so – we, we have to do these shirts in a production run. Uh, we use a local – a print shop here in St. Louis called tiny little monster. They do an amazing job and we are not going to do on demand stuff because the quality is terrible. Yeah. So we're only going to sell quality shirts, but that means we have to do them in batches. Mm -hmm. Um, so so yeah, the holiday run did, I think it was 37 shirts or something like that. Yeah. Mid thirties.
0: But we also, I mean, each of us also bought some more of them. So it's like probably like 30 shirts. I think were actually new shirts for new people. Um, and that went. That went. So that went pretty well. Uh, it doesn't exactly make any. You know, it makes like a hundred bucks or something at the end of the day for us. Not exactly a uh, a extreme. It's not. It's ROI. not a money
1: making operation. It's just we want people to have butterscotch shirts. So, so. yeah,
0: we'll we'll organize a uh, a butterscotch mob to storm. I don't know. Maybe the White House. We could do that if if uh, you know if the election goes weird. We'll just do that. We'll just go take over and call it good. But we will have a. We'll be doing another T-shirt run, um, either end of March or uh, April, shortly around the time the Creator patch comes out. So, so there will be more options, and we, uh, we we have we've been in talks with a really really good T-shirt designer to make a Crashland specific T-shirt that should blow yes.
2: your mind.
1: So, yeah, minds really- will be blown. We'll share more about that as we as we get more. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, and we'll do last question.
2: Oh, we never did answer how how well the the this, this shirts sold. Yeah, mid thirties. Oh, okay. But that does mean, though, that if you're out in the wild in the universe and you see a Butterscotch shenanigans shirt. It's a super rare event. It's a very rare event. And (laughs) it's pretty likely that it's one of us, first of all.
0: Yeah, it's actually like a 10% chance. 10% chance of one
2: of us. Uh, And especially because I think most, like half of those shirts went out of the United States. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So if
2: you live in the U.S. and you see one of those shirts, there's a pretty damn good chance it's one of us, uh, which is... Kind of hilarious. It's but going to say, hey. if it isn't one of us, then it's actually going to be somebody who's super active in our forums and listens to our podcast, etc. And so it's going to be somebody you to hate to and you'll probably recognize their username. They were probably mm-hmm. a
1: beta tester of Crashlands. We've probably,
2: probably answered one of their questions on the podcast, or thirty, or a bunch of them. In the case of Mia Kitty, On the yeah. Reverend, and others. So yeah, yeah. So
1: just keep an eye out for. We'll probably put that in the newsletter, I would think. Yep. Um, as well as on the blog and all kinds of stuff. All right, so last question comes from Wombat in Combat. Now, Good I just name. want to point that out.
2: is a fucking great name.
1: I want to point <laughs> out, though, the N has two N's, which means. <laughs> in Maybe he's wombat in
0: Combat, you know? wombat in Combat. Like, it's a combat. verb. He's Wombat. He's doing a I'm wombat. not sure how to interpret it. I think it's kind of ruined
2: by the extra N a little bit.
0: Wombat in combat. No, nah, man, he's, nah, I mean, maybe easy. if
2: you're
1: IGN,
0: he's bludgeoning things with a wombat. That's what he's.
1: That's what it is. Yeah, it, it, how you wombat. It, it, right. He's wombat. It's an extra in One out
2: of five stars. Yeah. Too many ends. Uh,
1: what do you think about adding a quest completed counter in the data menu? This is a crash Crashlands question. Yeah. I, I would love to fully explore the savanna, etc. If I knew there were more things waiting for me, but I also want to make sure I'm not roaming for nothing when the bog needs that's me.
2: It's a good idea, actually.
1: It is, except of how impossible it is. Yeah,
2: why? It may be impossible, but it's a good because idea. Because quests, quests are not
1: attached to biome. Quests are not attached to locations. Yep. Uh, a quest could have a quest could come from an NPC who exists in all three biomes. Mm-hmm.
2: We could uh, have a global counter, but we can't have a.
1: We do have a, a global biome. counter. Or no, we have. I think. I don't think- we, we have a quest completed counter, but not like a quest completed out of total. Um, the other reason for that is that some quests are most quests are actually invisible and they are sort of like transition quests or, or little events and stuff like that um, that just kind of happen automatically. Uh, so there is that. But the other thing is, yeah, quests can come from NPCs that can be anywhere and quests could also span multiple biomes. So you could have a quest that requires you to get materials from all three biomes, um, or do something in all three biomes. Yeah, and there's also so, nothing
2: stopping us from having quests that require you to move backwards through biomes, um, which yeah. would then become super confusing. Because be like, oh, I just have one more left in this biome. I just can't find it. I'm so angry. Hate mail to the devs, etc. When it turns out you have to go to the tundra first to get access to it. Yeah, so this
1: is one of those things where if you were to, you know, as the wiki starts to take more shape and stuff like that, and People will probably list quests as being in certain biomes uh, because that's just where you get them. But from a coding standpoint, it's actually oddly difficult to extract that information. <laughs> yeah, computers are <laughs> extremely dumb as it turns yeah. out. So yeah, so this is again like pinch to zoom. It's one of those problems that you look at it and you're like, derp, like obvious uh, from a human brain perspective. But from a computer's perspective, it's a really complicated problem. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's all we got for you guys for this week. Uh, this has been episode 38 of Coffee with Butterscotch. And again, if you want to get your questions or uh, just vote on other people's questions, you can go to podcast.bscotch.net and drop us a line in there. We also have a community over at forums.bscotch.net. And we have a growing Crashlands community over at the Crashlands subreddit, which is uh, reddit.com slash r Crashlands. And uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.